With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith. Welcome into another edition of the Blue White Breakdown. Bobby Flounders and Dustin Hawkinsmith here just looking at uh, Penn State football midway through training camp, Bob. And it's starting to kind of sink in for me that uh, that the season is coming and that all these things that, you know, position battles and question marks, uh, we can maybe stop talking about them and start seeing some of these things in action. But we do have James Franklin talking about them again on Wednesday. We also have, and we'll start with this, the the media rights deal that everybody was waiting for from the Big Ten really got got a, a hefty dose of spotlight after USC and UCLA um, announced their intentions to join the Big Ten next year. But this is a seven billion dollars plus, where the general structure and correct me if I'm wrong is that you will have you know a Fox game at noon, you will have a CBS game at three thirty, and you have an NBC game. Uh, in in prime time, generally most, if not all, Saturdays. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cool starting point to me, and that's a very expensive starting point for those places. And it's it is a well negotiated deal, I think, for the Big Ten Network. You know, it's it's not a coincidence that I'm sure the price jumped after news about UCLA, obviously, and uh, and USC. I, th- I think it's also pretty clear that they're definitely not done expanding. At some point, Dustin, I think. They're going to need to find some playmates for USC and UCLA in the Big Ten. And the next school East can't, I guess, what is the next school East? Is it Nebraska? Or, I mean, it's, they, need some, they need a couple other, I think they're going, to need, they're going to need a couple other schools. I think Notre Dame would be great, but even if they don't add Notre Dame, it just can't be those two all by them are lonesome out there. And, you know, everyone else, you know, a minimum of a two or five or four hours away. So. I think it's exciting. I really do. Um, I'm I'm anxious to see how it's going to play out, but I think the I think the NBC component for football fans at night probably going to mirror kind of what they do with Sunday Night Football on NBC Pro Football. Um, and you know, I, it it is exciting. I know I know there's some other. Con- I know the Big Ten Network is still involved, and there's going to be some streaming on Peacock, and they're going to have to make room for some Olympic events and basketball but it's really football drove this whole thing and it 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 was always going to do it once they added ucla and usc their next tv deal was going to be humongous and that's exactly you know how it played out i think it's a it's a big win for the big 10 i think the school the member schools are going to see their yearly payments uh, increase exponentially and we'll just see when's the madness going to stop like what are the next couple of deals in the next couple of years going to be like but 
uh, exciting, I think, for the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think uh, the the change that that's coming. I mean, obviously, uh, to your point about Peacock and you know BTN Plus, and you know all, all that you're not going to escape. I don't care what conference you're talking about. Uh, you're not going to escape the need to be purchasing add-ons to your your cable subscription. You know that's just an inevitable thing, and that's been inevitable for a little while here. But that's coming whether you like it or not. That's coming whether you're a Big Ten fan or an SEC fan. You're just going to have to wrap your head around that. There's going to be a time where if you want to watch a Penn State football game, you're going to have to have Peacock. So yeah, I think that's just a modern day thing. But I do tend to agree with you that. Um, the schools in the West, it just doesn't seem like a sustainable thing to not have any other presence in the West moving forward. Now, it's a great big mystery as far as um, when or if or who the other schools might be. It doesn't seem like anybody's got a real defined timeline for that. But it does. it's hard for me to believe, you know, pretty close to when USC and USCLA arrive that there's not going to be other, any other components in the West. And then it's just a matter of you know, you're trying to bring some symmetry and some some business logistics that make sense and also trying to add value to the next TV deal. You know, you're trying to you're trying to thread that needle. Yep. Uh, I think you're right. And let's and Dustin, let's for for the maybe some Penn State fans, some older Penn State fans, especially that maybe don't want to or they're not they're not thrilled about NBC's Peacock streaming service or, you know, the Big Ten plus or whatever, whatever iteration it's going to be. You guys can always go back to how it started and just listen to the games on Penn State, the Penn State Radio Network. If you don't want to fork out the extra cash, what could be better than listening to my man Steve Jones and hopefully Jack Ham on the radio? I think a lot of people do that anyway. There's some there's some pretty bad TV pairings for some Penn State games that aren't important, and I think they just turn the they turn the volume down. And they're listening to Steve and they're listening to Jack anyway. You're just going to have to have a more active imagination if you don't want to have uh, pay for streaming. Uh, just, just visualize uh, in your mind, in your mind's eye, James Franklin calling a timeout at a, at, at a time that you just can't comprehend. You really need to see that. You can visualize it just as well and get pissed. <laughs> it's, it's, pre- and I, I think that that would arguably, I, I think that would that would make people more mad is trying to visualize that in, in their head. It's, it's just a brand new day, and college football is driving everything. The money is driving everything, and I think. You know, one of the things that's ha- in the process of happening right now is that there's everybody's just pulling back the curtain. You know, I think all everybody who's making decisions, they're not really masking the fact that this is, you know, this is financially driven. Everybody's got budgets to balance. Everybody wants to carry 865 Olympic sports. And in, in order to pay all these different bills, you have to pursue things that are in the interest of making money. And I, it is an interesting dynamic. And you'll hear some, you know, traditionalists just, you know, looking back at the days where traditions mattered and stuff like that. And it's whether traditions come or go, people are still going to watch the games anyway. That's the, that's the not so well-kept secret. People are watching, people are paying no matter whether it's, it's a tradition or not. So this, this is where we're at and this is where we're going. It's just a matter of how much expansion happens. The college football playoff expansion is still out there on on the horizon. Are we getting mega conferences or or not? How does all this take shape? And this was another thing that came up this week already is uh, um, maybe participating in college football in a governance completely outside of the NCAA. And and that would be another mere formality, I think. The NCAA hasn't been calling shots on this stuff in a while. 
you don't float that to somebody like Pete Thamel if you're not seriously considering it. That's just not something they're going to say, hey, man, is it a slow news week? Well, we, there's a 10% chance we might do this. I mean, this is this is probably a very serious discussion. I think we've talked about it, Dustin. I don't know that you or I are going to be surprised by anything that happens in the next three or four years. I think you have to be open-minded and just about prepared for anything. These facility upgrades in State College are not going to pay for themselves. That's what I'm going to tell you. I didn't know if you knew that, but they're not going to pay for themselves. And I know this is the way that everybody operates, but it it just feels a little insulting to me to have these athletic departments clearing whatever the whatever the the individual school payment is going to be fifty million dollars ninety million dollars whatever it is and then still having these fundraising campaigns for all these different projects like I mean who's actually paying for any any of this stuff he said like why why am I still contrib why am I still chipping in why is my five dollars count whenever you just kind of signed a seven billion dollar deal. <laughs> I don't know if, if you're a, a member or you're a, an ardent Penn State fan, but I mean, you can't you can't afford to shell out a couple bucks for the Penn State Nittany Lions at the next Rotary Club meeting. Come on. Here's here's my philosophy on that. And I am a Penn State alum and I do have I, I have a, I have a letter in here with a with a football magnet in, inside of it. My feeling is I contributed thousands upon thousands of dollars to to get my education there. I think my I think my contribution stops when I leave. You know, I don't. I don't feel any obligation to fur, to further initiatives because I see tuition rising. I see all. I see all this stuff. I I just generally don't agree with that. Yeah, Dustin, and this could just be the. This could just be the Big Ten, their answer to all the student loans that have been frozen since the start of the pandemic. That they're not getting any. They're getting no. They're not getting any money coming in. They they want their money. They're going to get it one way or the other. And if Joe Biden doesn't make an announcement soon about the future of student loans, and there are many, and in all honesty, they're they're completely excessive, and I do feel for people who are facing those things. Um, but yeah, who knows? Who knows what what the thinking is? But once the 2020, 2023 season arrives, it's just going to be. I think it's going to be an adjustment for a lot of people. If you're smart, you're going to start preparing for even more and more stuff now because it's just. It's not 2007 anymore or even, you know, even 2010 anymore. So you, you have to get ready for change and you have to get ready for paying bills and all that stuff. And if you're going to have all these sports, you got to pay for them. While we're already far afield here, let's talk about the FBI at Mar-a-Lago, Bob. <laughs> if, we're already, if we're going down this road, let's go the whole way down it. No, let's not. Let's please. Let's not talk let's about not. that. No, let's not. Let's not. So uh, media availability on Wednesday, equally important to what, what I just brought up. The, this and, and maybe the most important thing is the change of plans as it related to and, – and I'm pretty sure uh, Penn State Communications changed times and stuff like that in order to have these players play laser tag in Bryce Jordan Center. The only thing I, I lament is that they changed the times. You couldn't get up there. Uh, I wanted to see you play laser tag with James Franklin. It's all I've ever wanted. I wouldn't mind shooting at James Franklin with a laser tag gun. Let me just let me just you know qualify that. But he, it sounds like there were photos of him having a good time up there. But yeah, it was just one of those things where you know they're going to do what they're going to do, and maybe this was planned for a while. But they could have maybe uh, advance notice. Maybe is is not a strong point when it comes to Penn State in the media. 
maybe it was just an accident and an oversight. But yeah, and the other thing is, so for the fans, they have like a, in the, especially in the summer when you go up, the practice availability is like 15 minutes to watch practice. But it's, you know, it's about two to two and a half hours before, you know, they actually make the players and coaches available at the end of practice. So we, if you want to watch the start of practice or the warm ups, you can, but they're still going to practice. And so there's like a two hour window where, if you if you're up there in state college and you you cover the team up there, you just go home or you go to a bar or you do whatever. If you if you make the drive up, like what are you going to do with those those you know extra ninety minutes? Could go to a bar, and a lot of people would assume that would be what I would do, and maybe somebody like Greg Pickle would do. But we just actually work. We we find a place at Penn State that's got some uh, media Wi-Fi uh, or I mean, Wi-Fi in general, and we just work on some stuff for later in the week. Or we transcribe posts or whatever that is. We could kill some time, but when they move, when they move the when they move the player and coach availability up to the essentially the practice availability because there was no practice. Poor Greg and I were out of luck. Thank God for Johnny Johnny McGonigal, Penn Live's newest Penn State reporter. He he went up there ahead of time to see uh, practice and probably introduce himself to some people. So he was up there when it happened. So was Joe Hermit. So we we got our bases covered, but yeah, it was unfortunate that we couldn't go up there. But you know, it sounds like there's some interesting things to talk about based upon uh, James Franklin's comments, specifically about some uh, some departures. Also, at least one training camp battle. I thought that was interesting as well. So we can get into that. Well, yeah, let's let's start with the. I, I thought the most meaningful thing was um, the middle linebacker battle: Tyler Elsden, Kobe King. You know, I, I, I maybe I've been guilty of just assuming Kobe King was going to win the day on this one. But as of right now, and I, I think it makes sense, the more experienced guy, it's not quite like um, starting at the quarterback position, but being that that lead communicator on defense, it's not a big surprise to see the guy who's been around longer holding an edge at the midway point. I do think James Franklin, when he, when he mentioned – you know, whoever basically, if Kobe King is still trying to figure things out, uh, you can't be doing you can't be doing that when everybody's waiting for your signal. Um, but that he's still going to play a lot, and I think that's true. Is is that these guys? The starting role is going to be meaningful, but you're going to see both of these guys. You're also, as as we talked about a good bit last week, you're also going to see situations where this third linebacker isn't even on the field. Yeah, that last point you made is a really good one. We're two weeks away from the start of the season as we, we we're taping this. I don't know that there's going to be a lot that changes in the next two weeks. For James to say that he's a little bit ahead, my expectation is Tyler Els- Elsden will be the guy initially when Penn State has a middle linebacker on the field. Um, I think Kobe King is a guy they really like, but I do think that Manny Diaz, in a new defense, um, you know, he values the ability to communicate and got to be able to get lined up right. And if, if, if Kobe is not quite as advanced as Tyler – then it's probably – the decision has essentially made itself. Now, what I would say, though, is I don't know how much we're going to see of a middle linebacker at Purdue. Um, I, I don't expect you're going to see three linebackers on the field on, in many situations. Purdue's a team that wants to throw the ball. Penn State's got the corners to match up with their spread. So I think the nickel, the four-two-five, or even maybe a dime makes a lot of sense for Penn State. And they have Curtis Jacobs and his speed. And, you know, uh, Sutherland and Jonathan Sutherland is a former defensive back. So – the following week, Dustin, they have Ohio. So, and Ohio is a team that's going to run the ball, but who cares? So, really, what we're talking about is the Auburn game. Who's going to be the middle linebacker when Penn State plays Auburn? I think it's on September 17th down there. 
And they're going to definitely run the ball with Tank Bigsby. They ran the ball all over Penn State when they had the ball last year in the game and caused their good Penn State defense fits with the running game. This isn't as significant if they had opened the season a little bit differently against some teams that they're going to really need their middle linebacker. I'm not sure. Like Wisconsin last year, I think that would have been a bigger deal for the middle linebacker if they had Ellis Brooks. But I, I think really that for me, it's who's going to be getting the, the majority of the snaps on September 17th. But for now, for James to say that, I, I don't see anything really changing. And I think it's probably going to be Elston that starts when they have a middle linebacker on the field on September 1st. But for, for reasons for now and for the future, uh, Kobe King, they're going to make it a point to make sure that he gets he gets all the reps that, that, that he deserves, which sounds like it's going to be a pretty good little chunk, too. This is the Blue White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a long-time patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you mentioned the, the departures. We've had two of them since you and I um, last talked, so last week. Um, Kaziah Holmes, the, the running back, uh, and and now this week, Ken Talley, the freshman defensive end, who I, I, you know, I just had to smile a little bit when he puts out a message, I think it was on Tuesday, saying that he loved his time at Penn State. <laughs> and uh, he'll, he'll always look back at it, you know, wistfully, those two weeks changed his life, but you know, like a, clearly something, I, I don't know. We, we don't know, really know the, the explanation, but Franklin, I think to his credit, I think it, it was a good position to take. Like, I'm not going to comment on these guys' reasons, you know, to, to leave. That was their personal decision, their personal business. Um, maybe we'll hear from them about it, but on the subject of Kaziah Holmes, he did kind of hint that there, it wasn't much of a surprise. And that says he, he was fifth out of five. And he was going to be fifth out of five for, and the writing was on the wall. I mean, that, I, I think that seemed pretty clear to me. My, my, my question is, why didn't he leave sooner? Honestly, I think the writing was on the wall uh, at the end of the spring game. When you saw, when you heard the way they talked about Singleton, what you saw he could do in the weight room, and even in limited, limited chances in, that, in the blue-white game, he, he caught a pass, and I think he, he, I mean, he did some, some things with a, a pass reception that you don't see running backs do. Katron Allen, I thought, was looked good all uh, throughout the spring. He did some good things in the spring game. And you have Devin Ford and Kevon Lee. I'm not quite sure why Keziah waited until August. to. Uh, that's, a, that's a curious decision to me. But I think, I think you can look at this two ways, Dustin, right? I, it, it's great that Penn State feels fantastic about Katron Allen and Nick Singleton and the, the fact that they enrolled early. Mm-hmm. And these guys can really, they think, help right away their advance, especially Singleton, the five-star. But the other thing, you know, this is another 
in my mind, another miss in recruiting on Keziah Holmes. I went, I just went back and looked to see, you know, where he ranked him. He was actually, in terms of, you know, the rankings, he was thought of as a much better prospect than Kevon Lee. He was, he was up there as an all-purpose back. I never got the sense, you know, other than one long run he had at Nebraska in 2020, I never got the sense that he was really prominent in Penn State's plan. So I don't know what that says about development. I don't know what it says about the kid himself, but it wasn't like they were, you know, going into 2020 after, you know, Noah Kane gets hurt, like on the first play. So the opportunity is there, right? Devin Ford, you know, he did the Indiana game that he finished. It did not work out for him. And he didn't really do much after that. Almost by default, they went to Kevon Lee. And he was the guy in the second half of the season that looked like the best runner. What, you know, where was Keziah then? And then last year, the same thing. You know, it was, it was, it was, you know, it was Noah early, but he just never got it going after four games. Kevon was clearly their best option, even though they didn't feature him until the last month of the season. But was it Keziah not grabbing the opportunity and running with it? Or was it Penn State not feeling great about what they've seen from him? You know, whether it's in the in the classroom, uh, learning the game or on the practice field. But there's been some there's been some misses in the running back room at Penn State. You can go back to 2019. I don't know what I would say about Devin Ford right now, but he's not right now. He's not a hit like it's not like that you can look back on him and say, boy, look what he's done in his career coming into this season. You know, Ricky Slade is another guy. I think that I really thought he was going to be a hell of a player. And, you know, that didn't happen either. Noah Kane was hurt, but he didn't look super effective there. Maybe it'll be different at LSU. You know, there's been some pretty good running backs in terms of recruiting rankings and buzz that just have not, that are washed out. So I don't know where I sit uh, on the fence when it comes to Kaziah because he's a talented, he's clearly a talented kid, but he, I don't know why he waited till August to leave. And I don't know what happened in 20 and 2021. 20, um, that caused them to sour on him. I just, you know, my my thought with him, number one, I mean, this is one area where uh, mindset and personality and, you know, that that side of development is always such a great variable and probably was, a, I, I, you know, you hear them preaching consistency still about Devin Ford. So that's still something on, on his side. I think clearly Ricky Slade, you know, didn't even finish playing football really after he left Penn State and Old Dominion. So th- I think there was something there too, but it's like, because I Holmes, you know, I was impressed by his physical talent, but if you're not reading things or picking things up or understanding where blitzes are coming from or understanding how your guys in front of you are blocking, I mean, this, that's a, a big variable. And it's one of the things that, you know, you're trying to get to know a kid and go get to know the people around him and the, his coaches and his teachers. I mean, it's just one of those things that sometimes you just can't predict that on physical talent alone. Like I, I think he was more talented than, than Kevon Lee, but for whatever reason, it just didn't, it just hasn't happened for him. And I, I just don't know why. I mean, I think redshirting in 2021 was kind of a, a red flag. You know, you would anticipate somebody who got so many unexpected opportunities in 2020 because of the situation would build, would be able to build off of that and become better for those opportunities. I mean, clearly he didn't. So this is where they are. I don't know either. Like, you know, th- those are definitely some misses. Um, but is Penn State missing more? Often, as often, or less often with running backs 
that compared to everybody else. And really, I mean, you're just with journey Brown. It didn't work out for reasons that nobody could really control, but you know, after Saquon and, and Miles Sanders and, and the, the, the reputation that was starting to be cultivated, they're, they're looking to try to get back to that. And people are wondering if they're able to, but I think this one, two punch of freshman is a pretty good starting point. Yeah. I'll just say one more thing. I, clearly there was a development issue. It could have been, it could have been on Holmes' side. It could have been on Penn state side. Something just did not materialize. I don't know. I don't know the real inside story on that, but I'm just going to say one more thing. I think that what you just said at the very end, uh, I was what I was going to say. If you hadn't, if not for the freakish, freakish talents of, of, you know, Barkley and Miles Sanders, what are we really talking about at running back at Penn state since 2014? And to me, what I'm trying to get at is what about Penn state's offense, the way it's structured, the spread where the, the quarterback you know, is always in the shotgun and the running back's always next to him. And there's really no momentum going until the mesh. And I just wonder if also that's another thing that if you're James Franklin, you need to look at um, because they, they just really have not consistently been able to impose their will in the running game other than two just ridiculous, a second round pick and the number two pick overall in the draft. Um, and even they had trouble getting to the line of scrimmage, if not for their talent. So it does give me a little bit of pause to think about, you know, maybe the t- maybe it's not necessarily the running backs when they when they don't work. Maybe it, it could just be the system and, and what's in place. I think maybe they need to tweak that. It's going to be a big year, I think, for the running game. And if it's more of the same with every good thing that we've heard about, you know, Singleton and Katron Allen and what Kevon Lee was able to do when given the ball, if it's more of the same, I don't know if it's just on the offensive line. Yeah, or, or, or the backs. I mean, I think I think the the talent at running back, and you know, we'll see what happens on the offensive line. But it's a good point. I think you know the mesh thing. Okay, if if you're winning one on one matchups, I th- I think that can be a positive because you're you're creating uh, that sort of uncertainty and making the defense respond to something that may or may not be there. But um, if you're losing one on one matchups and you're you're still pausing for a second and a half with with the mesh that's when things break like of course they're going to break down and so i don't know i mean that that's an interesting you know big picture ph- philosophical thing is as a coaching staff if your players are 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 kind of unable to execute that core concept of what you want to do what do you what where do you go from there do you and, and clearly it's just kind of like keep trusting in them to do it but it's an interesting thing. At what point as coaches do you say, okay, we do have to change things up because they're not, they're not doing, they're not executing what we need them to execute. Yeah. I think another, if it's another year where the running game just really, you know, 3.8 yards per carry, 3.5 yards per carry and falling behind and giving up on it. If it's another year like that with the perceived talents at Penn state, I think we're going to be, we're going to be closer to our answer. I think that it, I mean, maybe it will work out and maybe they will do some different things this year and maybe, Maybe Mike Yersich and, and those guys have some tricks up their sleeve, and maybe they really did commit to uh, being a little bit more diverse in the way that they they, they scheme the run. And maybe they're going to go under center when it's in short yardage, and maybe they'll put a tight end that can actually block in front of the running back to get help create some room. I just I just don't think it it can look like the last two years. It just can't. And if it does, I, th- I think we have our answer, Dustin. I, I don't know that talent can overcome a scheme that just is not conducive to a successful running game. 
One final thing, and then we'll move on for me here, is uh, I do think Catron Allen and Nick Singleton are much, much better in terms of making the most out of small creases. Um, and I think I, I think that that skill set just kind of wasn't there last year. And I think small creases were a best case scenario a lot of the time last year. A couple other concepts real quick. Uh, I don't really have much to say about this. Maybe you do, but just Sean Clifford talking about, once again, being year two with the same coordinator. I, I don't know if I have anything else to add to Like, I understand the positives. Uh, I understand, like, what still needs to be proven. Everybody who follows Penn State football, I think, is still a little skeptical that just, you know, the year one to year two makes such a magical difference that they're willing to look past what Sean Clifford has shown them or whatever. But um, so there's that. And then I think Johnny Dixon's name was brought up again as somebody who, uh, and, and I'm, I'm curious, your your thoughts on significance of that and him him I don't know if he's I don't know if he's pushing Kalen King for the starting job but clearly more good cornerbacks is better than fewer good cornerbacks Johnny Dixon was a pretty good player at South Carolina like he played at a young age on defense so I think this is a talented player that I don't know you know I don't I think that Manny I'll put it to you this way I think Manny Diaz sees something in Johnny Dixon that maybe Brent Pry didn't I should probably hold off a little on that because it's really Terry Smith who decides who the best. I mean, they, they do give Terry and, and maybe maybe whatever the way that Penn State teaches it. He, I thought he was a good player last year. Um, they did. It was a little bit of a different room because you also had Tariq Castro Fields. You had Joey Porter. You had Hardy. And they really they really like Kalen King. So in a lot of ways, he was the fifth corner. Um, but good on good on him for getting closer to seeing possible starting time and if any injury happens he's never he might never come off the field because it, they really like him and I Penn State has always been good about when they, when they say they really like somebody they're, they're usually not just blowing smoke that's why when they said when Franklin said Elsden's got a slight edge to me that means he's pretty much won the job so that's good but I think the thing that I wanted to comment on was Sean Clifford and James Franklin and Mike Yersitz are really really selling the advantages of the second year in the offense making all the difference. I'm just going to tell Penn State fans this, and you can just, and Dustin, you can agree or disagree. Bill O'Brien completely transformed Matt McGloin in one year at Penn State. Now, yes, he had Allen Robinson, but Sean had a first round draft pick, Jahan Dotson, to throw to last year. Robinson was not a first round pick. What Bill O'Brien was able to teach, install, and do with not a lot of talent around on that Penn State offense. Silas Red hit the, you know, Silas Red bailed, Justin Brown bailed. I mean, they did have some good tight ends, but they weren't necessarily ready. That quarterback play and that offense could give him what they did in a short time with a shorthanded roster. To me, that's why I have a hard time really saying, boy, year two, year two in an offense can really make a big difference. Maybe it can, but maybe if you you call the right plays, you have the right looks, and the quarterback really gets what the what the offensive coordinator wants to do, I think there's no reason by midway through the first uh, first half of the season you shouldn't be clicking. I'll always remember what Billy O'Brien did with Matt McGloin, who was – I don't even know if Matt McGloin was a two-star recruit. And he played his fanny off uh, in, in an offense that was not expected to do much. So – I don't know how much weight I give to the comment that the second year is going to be a lot better. I think it's really about the quality of the play, the execution, 
you know, and all and, and the concepts of the offense. And, you know, how, how it's blocked, I think it can, you know, you can go down a lot of roads there, but your, your point's a good one. My favorite point about uh, Matt McGloin in 2012 was that he threw as many interceptions <laughs> that year as he did in the Outback Bowl against Florida. <laughs> Five, five picks, right? In all of all of 2012. Yeah, yeah. That I sat through that Outback Bowl, and yeah, he was he was pretty bad. That the 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 people he had coaching him were not Billy O'Brien. I will say that it was it was uh, it was. I believe it was Jay. I think that it was. I think it was Galen. Was was they they were kind of splitting the duties. But man, yeah, that was an ugly ugly performance, and they almost won that game. Had they not thrown that pick six, which is astounding to me, <laughs> four picks would have would have gotten the job done. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, I think that's one thing people are a little bit leery of. Why I really don't have many more thoughts on on this entire concept because we've heard so much. At, at some point in time, you know, I think like the you, you have to stop waiting for an ideal circumstance for your quarterback and let your quarterback create the circumstance for you. And that to his credit, I think Matt McGloin and Bill O'Brien did that. So we'll see. Fair point. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm sure next week we're going to hear all about uh, how year two is going to be different and and all that again. But, um, but I think uh, Penn state fans are as exhausted as we are from that. Uh, Any, anything else come out, come out of uh, yes, uh, yesterday that uh, that was worth mentioning to you. I don't think so. I think your your uh, your point on Dixon was a good one, and I do I I too was like, boy, if if Tyler Ellison is just slightly ahead, that's to encourage Kobe King, right? Just slightly ahead, just like in 2016, Trace was slightly Dustin slightly ahead of Tommy Stevens. Wasn't an easy decision, and then like Tommy Stevens didn't play a snap like for the rest of his life that was meaningful. I think that I think it's Ellison's job and. The, my other my question is, and you saw it is, if you're Manny Diaz and you're not quite sure about what you have at middle linebacker yet, just because it's unproven and you haven't had a lot of time with these guys, I know what I am sure about is our secondary. So I think I'm going to feature the secondary until the linebackers are ready to go. And if they're not ready to go, I'm just going to play in a four-two-five for most of the year, and I've got some big safeties, and we're going to crowd the line of scrimmage. I mean, there's. There's a, there's a lot of different ways. It, it could only bite them in the backside in, against, against a couple of teams, but they don't play those teams till the second half of the year. So I think Manny Diaz is going to put the best guys on the field early in the season and then hold his breath when they go to Auburn against Tank, Bizzy, Tank, Tank Bigsby and I think it's Jarquez Hunter. Those guys were the real deal in that Penn State game last year. But I agree with you. I, I took the same things away that you did from, uh, from, the, from the practice – or not the practice, the media availability – the moved up media availability uh, on Wednesday. The laser tag availability <laughs> is what is what you're driving at there. Well, Bob, Bob and I will be back next week. We'll also hear from Johnny McGonigal, our new reporter, Dave Jones. Uh, we do pretty much daily here with the Blue White Breakdown. You can check it out, Alexa, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube. And you can also check us out, penlive.com slash football. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Blue White Breakdown. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. <laughs>